Hi, and welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast. I am your host, Mike Hendley. Episode 24, Building Your Album of Life with Artist and Teacher, Cesar Santos. I know for me, the last few weeks have been quite hectic with work. I've been working from home, and I'm still trying to find uh, some time to draw and paint. Over kind of the last week has been uh, a bit more challenging to uh, to get some time in to paint and draw. And uh, so it's the nature of the beast. I do work at a research hospital, and obviously with the pandemic, there is an impact to uh, to what I do and how I can do it. I am thankful to be still working. And, uh, you know, my wife and uh, kids are at home as well, and the kids are quite stressed, and it's it's a challenging time, so... We all have to do things a little bit differently, and I've been kind of focusing on this idea of creating in place, uh, trying to leverage where I live, uh, the things around me, and focusing around um, the subjects to draw, you know, being thankful with what I have and what we can do, and uh, staying at home as much as I can, uh, heading out maybe once every week to 10 days to get groceries, but other than that, just staying at home and, and working and trying to enjoy. Uh, this uh, new normal, at least for the the short term. So I'm hopeful you're doing okay. I know the impact is uh, much greater on some and less on others. I'm anxious to get to the other side of this. I think um, you know it 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 will come in due course, and we just need to uh, to work together and support each other, and uh, we'll get to that point in time. But in the meantime, I've uh, been doing some more graphite. So I did finish that spider I was talking about in the last episode. And I posted that. I've gotten quite a bit of uh, positive feedback, and <laughs> I got some, uh, I'm not going to say negative feedback, but I guess some people have uh, obviously uh, an issue with spiders, and uh, so th- there was some uh, question of my subject matter. I thought that was kind of funny. Um, I-, I know the fear can be quite real for those people that, uh, uh, you know, do suffer with uh, arachnophobia, but. Um, it was uh, interesting feedback. I didn't realize how many people were impacted by uh, the thought of even just a, a drawing of a spider. So I think I probably will do a couple more. I really liked those textures, the hairs. It, it was it was my first foray into dealing with kind of a macro type image where you've got a very clear, a very short focus distance, and um, you know you've got the blur in the background of the legs and the uh, the remaining legs in the body. And uh, that was kind of fun to be able to do in graphite. So I think I'm going to do some more uh, insects at that level, probably a few more spiders, and uh, we'll see where that takes me. So the other larger piece I've been working on is a rockhopper penguin. This one is actually, his name is Wellington, and uh, he lives at the Shed Aquarium. And I spotted him online. The Shed Aquarium posts some amazing uh, videos and uh, images. So I guess the Shed Aquarium take the penguins through uh, the aquarium itself for walks quite often. And I thought that was fantastic. So I really loved seeing kind of Wellington walk around the aquarium. So I thought I'd do a picture of him or a drawing of him. And I used one of the uh, the photos that the Shed Aquarium had posted. I got their permission to do so. And uh, that was cool. To be able to uh, to draw him, it took me about I think three or four attempts on the head. It's at a kind of a weird angle, and uh, I think that's I, I've got to do more of that kind of stuff. We always kind of we end up with very clear angles of the uh, of the head towards our vantage point, and I think we do need to kind of 
challenge ourselves a little bit by rotating that and understanding the proportions and making sure that we get everything um, laid out so that it does look realistic. And I think that's what I was struggling with most. And then when I finally got there, it felt great to finally sort that out. And uh, the feet took a little bit more effort. It's a real subtle shading between the color of the feet and the rocks that he's standing on and the rock that he's got in his beak and all that kind of stuff. So I think uh, I, I really liked doing uh, Wellington. I think that was, uh, I am, once again, I love drawing birds. And uh, Wellington, the rockhopper penguin, was was cool. The other bird I did was a, a green heron. I'm just finishing that one up, so I will be posting a final one in the next couple of days. And uh, once again, this is a, a photo I took of uh, this green heron was in our pond. And I'm doing this one for a different reason. I'm obviously, the textures are, you know, typical for a bird, but it is in water. So I'm trying to work with that with regard to graphite. But the reason I'm doing this too is I'm planning to do this one in watercolor. I haven't decided whether it's going to be transparent or opaque, but I am planning to do this in watercolor. So this is kind of my lead up to that. And I'm probably going to start that this week, uh, kind of being the first week of April. And we'll see where that takes me. So uh, with a lot of this stuff, you know, the spider, the penguin, um, as well as the heron, I've been doing it as live draws on Instagram. I've done a couple with Facebook and, and uh, YouTube as well. I'm going to do a lot more of that. I think that as artists, we have this opportunity for people that are at home, either working or um, unable to work at this point in time, to provide this kind of view of, of what we do and how we do it. And I've got a lot of positive feedback from the live draws that I've been doing on Instagram. And so I'm going to try and do more. I haven't done any for a few days. It's been really crazy. But uh, I'm going to be doing more probably um, in in the next week or so I'm going to do quite a bit. I do have a uh, a live draw I'm planning for uh, Wednesday, April 8th. So that'll be part of kind of the We Draw Wednesdays that Tiff Armit uh, started uh, quite a while back. So I'm going to do that. Uh, I'm going to do a live draw that evening around that. And as I say, just go to, um, if you follow me on Instagram, I do post kind of advance notice of when I'm going to be doing a live draw. And I encourage people to come by and and watch what I'm doing, ask questions, whatever the case. And I'm also planning to do some from my uh, Facebook page as well. So uh, just follow along if you enjoy it. Let me know if you have questions. Uh, that's cool. So if you have been enjoying the podcast, I would ask you to maybe drop a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and maybe uh, share it with others. I do appreciate all of you for doing that and uh, for coming to the show every couple of weeks and listening to uh, the next episode. I really enjoy doing this. I don't have a plan and kind of stopping in the near future. And I'm hopeful that uh, you'll be along with me through this journey of kind of self-discovery and talking with some of these uh, artists from around the world. It's been a, a fantastic journey and uh, I look forward to, uh, to so much more. So I really enjoyed my interview this week. We really go deep into some areas of what it means to be an artist. And I, I really think that, you know, in this time with the pandemic and maybe some self-reflection, this uh, interview couldn't be at a, at a better time. And so I hope you'll enjoy it. I thoroughly did. And please, once again, remember that all the links, everything we talk about is in the show notes and it'll be posted. I'll provide uh, some information at the end of the interview. Thanks again, and without further ado, let's jump into the interview. You could call my guest this week a modern-day master. Classically trained, 
You would think that his art knowledge and skill surpasses the ability of many of us to learn, but this is simply not the case. His unique ability to educate and inform through a high-level artist view of the world around us is thoughtful, engaging, and most certainly entertaining. To talk about his creative journey, his art, and maybe his rapping, I welcome to the Drawing Inspiration Podcast, Cesar Santos. Hi, Cesar. How are you doing today? Hello, Mike. All good. I'm happy here to be chatting with you about art. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're uh, able to do this. I think uh, we're all mindful of everything that's happening in the world with COVID-19, and I'm so glad that uh, we can connect here and not have to worry about uh, our proximity, right? So I'm so glad you made the time. Yeah, good for a distraction and a change of subject for a bit. <laughs> yes, it's. Uh, I'm hopeful that you're you're okay and that uh, people that uh, I think you have some connection back to Italy. So I'm hopeful everyone is okay. Yeah, I'm one of the lucky ones that live normally in quarantine because I'm always here with my wife. We always work from home, and uh, I've only noticed that when we go to the supermarket, we have less stuff available. Um, at least in this part of town. But uh, other than that, everything is normal for us as long as we don't get involved with the media that much. Right. Um, but yes, we are aware of everything and we are trying to do you know, our best to stay safe and help others, families and stuff. So yes, things are changing. Yeah. But uh, here we are, art uh, yeah. is guiding us. <laughs> exactly. And I think just to be mindful, because this won't come out till uh, beginning of April, but we're recording this on March 18th. So I know things will be drastically different in the two and a half weeks when the episode comes out. so um, That's right. Yeah. When I found you on YouTube and then Instagram, I've been so captivated by your work because I look at it and I think, if, if I could only, right? If I could only draw and paint like you do, um, I may be a better human. And then when I hear you speak and I, I hear the words and the way you look at the world, and I, I was thinking, I really need to have Caesar come on to the podcast to talk about um, his view of things and your experience and your kind of origin story. So I wanted to ask you, like, do you remember the first time as even a young kid uh, being interested in art? Is that something that was always something you had to be doing? Did you start at an early age with this or did you come later to it? Yes, I guess that's a that's an interesting point because I, I don't see the difference between artists are at an early age. Um, I've been thinking of my experience and asking my parents what they saw in me. And and um, and my mom has a clear image of my first drawing. I did like a zigzag across a page and I asked around the house to, in the family um, to, to tell me what I drew. Like, what is this? And people couldn't guess. And I got mad because it was clearly a stair, like a staircase that we had in the, <laughs> going to the second floor. And they could, they didn't see me draw it. So imagine just a zigzag across the page, like uh, whatever. But um, it was supposed to be a, a stairs. And uh, but I see other kids expressing that. So there's something artistic that everybody has. Everybody has an art inside that gets distracted in time. Um, but I do remember my uncle encouraging me and my family to to protect it and and uh, and feed it because uh, it was not normal for a kid to draw that much as I was into it. So, yes. And I think it's, I mean, we'll get to this later because I'm going to bring it up again, but it's hard to even understand now as adults versus kids, are you, are you doing the art for yourself or are you doing it for an audience? And I think as a kid, we do it for ourselves. We're exploring, but it does quickly become, oh, my mom or dad was really happy with this. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to do more for them, right? And I think... 
that's always a challenge we have is who are we doing the art for? Who's the audience, right? And who's Yeah, the that's that's interesting because it's true. It's in a way it should stay as innocent as when we were kids mm-hmm. because we are trying to communicate something to ourselves. That's why it's a it's kind of a alone ex, um, experience. I guess when the kids are drawing, they're imagining the the story and they're imagining the the you know the things, the feelings that they're drawing about. So they're kind of feeding themselves and connecting to themselves. So I think that's what art is. It's a it's a it's a discovery of a part of you that is really hard to come out in normal ways, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think as soon as we get uh, other people feeling that connection that we have had with ourselves they get involved and curious and that is when we have to protect it the most because it's tempting to to uh, like you said look at the feedback and then say okay my next one i just shortcut it and do it for them and that's when everything wrong happens right um yeah and then from there you can get distracted easily I agree, and I've been there, and I still I still catch myself doing it every so often. You know, you get a bunch of... We all do, we all do. Yeah, that's exactly it. You get a bunch of likes on a, a frog or a, a bird or something you've done, and you think, oh, I gotta have to, I'll have to do another one then. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I, did you continue then with art into school and into high school? Was that something that stayed with you? Well, because of the circumstances in Cuba, when I was growing up uh, until the age of 12. I was drawing, but um, Cuba had a, a different kind of society. And and I couldn't just focus on that. Like my family couldn't believe that I would just be drawing and developing that. So my father put me into sports, uh, track and field, boxing. And then they encouraged me to do like tutoring of, of, um, of you know, other subjects. So I was kind of spreading um, out in terms of uh, you know expression and they they took me to a musical um training thing and and basically here when i got to america and the school system kind of guide guided me because the t- the art teacher said this is our these are your notes of course i'm learning english i'm horrible at every other subject because i'm not understanding anything at the age of 12. <laughs> the only thing i could understand is drawing and art pretty much that's universal and uh, so i kind of developed that better i was able to this you know not be distracted by other subjects and just focus in art and then i i was accepted to a magnet school and um, to be able to, you know, to practice what I loved and follow my passion. And then from high school, I did complete, you know, all through high school and four years of college, just did art. Wow. Until I discovered that it was the wrong path and it was very insecure uh, about my future because of what I was learning. And I decided to just give it all and, and re kind of, uh, you know, rethink the whole structure and go to Italy and study art again but from a different perspective, from a classical perspective. Right. So you were, you went through with high school and then into college. It, were you, in what degree were you pursuing in college? Uh, a BFA. Okay. And then, yeah. so you said from there, you kind of had issues with it and you decided to go to Italy. So what happened through your BFA that caused you to, to rethink what you were doing and, and to readjust your, or, or to realign your kind of true north as to what you needed to be doing? I think what happened to me was by pure luck and chance of life because normally in schools people stay in their country right so or at least around their language so what happens is that you are 
being uh, indoctrinated or guided, let's say, um, to serve in society as something. You could be an artist or you could be something, but there, there is a guide through the whole school system as you progress in grades and you don't find suddenly a shock at, at, in one subject or one year normally. You know, normally that doesn't happen. Normally you just flow through. But my beginning of, of school, like high school and even college, I was struggling with the language. So I wasn't understanding and I wasn't, I was looking at other things like the type of lighting in the classroom or the type of the structure of the building and the shoes of other people, the clothing, everything for me was new because I'm in a different environment. Right. So the funny part is that when I realized that I like doing art, the teachers suddenly were pushing me so strongly to stop doing what I love doing, which was realism and portraiture. And they started kind of uh, pushing me towards this conceptual art world. I was like, man, this is this is crazy. Like, I don't, I am, I did not study art to follow these <laughs> uh, instructions. So then, that's when I decided to stop it. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna stop this degree. I don't care what you guys are trying to do with me. I'm out. <laughs> and then they told me, you know, that like if I don't have a degree, people wouldn't respect my intellect. Um, because, you know, if you're not graduating, you just look like a loser kind of thing. So they hinted that at me. And I said, well, that's even a bigger motivation for me to quit right now <laughs> and, uh, and go to study. And actually, maybe that created a complex in me that I overreacted by staying in learning all the time and reading more than before and doing more things to prove to them that I wasn't going to stay ignorant. <laughs> right. I mean, I think that's the challenge you've had, right? In dealing with, you know, things in Cuba. And I can appreciate the challenges in that where there's an expectation you need to fit in a norm or generate, you know, make a living somehow, right? And being an artist, I think regardless of the country you're in, is not always the choice that parents would say is a great one. Who are, you know, like my parents were were not a fan of the idea of me talking about it. And I was quickly, quickly persuaded that, I had to pursue other things, and I, ne I never mm -hmm. went back to it till I was in my 40s. But mm -hmm. um, it seems like, you know, through your situation in Cuba and then with, with going through college, I mean, this ability for you to, to be true to yourself and to know who you are and what you need to do, I think is, it says a lot. I think a lot of people lose that, right? We end up becoming the people that we're around rather than being true to ourselves. And I think, like, how do you do that? How do you fight against it all and say, you know what, this is great and everyone's telling me it'll be great and I'll have a great job and I'll do this art that I really don't like doing. And so, mm -hmm. like, it really takes a lot of courage, I think, to push against that, right? And and leave yeah. the country well, <laughs> and then go off to yeah. Italy. I know, that's crazy. Yeah, leaving again the second country that was already getting used to it. Right. <laughs> but, but, well, the thing is, like, if we look at the bigger picture instead of our own lives, things get more clear because I think uh, that's one thing that helped me with uh, immigrating and with my parents that we always looked at the bigger picture and and that helped me for instance realize that the school system that I was studying here wasn't that evil after all because they were trying to guide me through a practice of art that would assure me contacts with local uh, art critics or galleries and it would be it will be guiding me through a safety of a community that is involved in that type of art. And, uh, and actually some students that actually followed their path ended up being successful and having connections with the higher 
elite, you know, of of that of that type of art. But I I felt that that's just one type of art. There are many types of art and artists, and they're all valuable. And as soon as as long as you feel it, it's all legit. And so I just didn't want to go through that route. That was the mainstream um, river of of that type of art. I just said, okay, I might suffer isolation. I might suffer ridiculed from the intellectual advanced contemporary artists. But it doesn't matter because I live with myself. And, and, and when I see the big picture, I say, I'm sure if I bring something to the table that is fresh and new and, and artistic, people will naturally follow, especially with the connection of the social media and internet. You can just connect to anybody around the world. You don't depend on the local uh, manager accepting you in the gallery. You know Exactly. Yep. Right. And so I think when you then went to Italy, uh, were you in a program at that point, or did you join a school? So maybe talk me through that as to that experience. The Italy experience was a very um, simple kind of way because I was just in, um, I heard about this school. Someone told me about a specific school in Florence that was teaching this. Then through research, I learned that there were other two schools doing that in Florence too. So then I realized that Florence was the place because I couldn't hear of a school in around me in America like those and suddenly they have three in the same place so i said okay for sure italy is the place so i applied and i got accepted to the angel academy and uh, and i got into the program and started from scratch how to hold the pencil how to sharpen the pencil and uh and the program was very you know clear and systematic in a way that it will guide you through the whole process of understanding how to you know use the tools to create the world around you and internal world as well and so how long was that program? Is that a... Uh... That program was, was open, was open to kind of depending on the individual. Okay. It was supposed to be a four-year program. So my, my degree says uh, completed four-year uh, program, but I, I did it in a year and a half due to my needs uh, because I, had, I didn't have uh, unlimited resources. Right. <laughs> you know, I had to finish quickly. So I did over, you know, time studying and, and, and was able to finish it. But it cleared up a lot of things. You know, it made things easier. It helped me how to control the tools. It was uh, it was just very effective. So it was more of a classical training. I mean, the fact that they were even talking through how to hold a, a pencil and sharpen a pencil seems pretty, you know, very specific on on how to manage the tools versus how to develop a contemporary style or whatever the case. They still they didn't take your voice yeah. away from you. They just helped build your skills. Yeah, they didn't want to hear my voice. They said, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. We're just going to take care of things that everybody can learn and do. Because art cannot be taught, you know. If you can teach it, it's not art. Because the power of art is the, the novelty of it. Right. And, so basically, yeah, all the fundamentals were explained. and But also, I wouldn't call it classical because we were not... I mean, it's a weird term, you know. It kind mm -hmm. of, It's just like an idea. But I, I took it as a new way to to paint realistically and naturalistic that's pretty much what i was because i didn't know much history before the academy and i went there just looking at some pictures online being impressed and how they rendered you know objects and people so i didn't think as a connection to classical before they told me that that comes from their and all this stuff like in cuba i never went to a museum and here also almost i don't mean miami i was living just trying to make it 
with my family here and never went to a classical museum. So everything I learned about classical stuff started in Italy when I went to study it. But my, my intention was not to rescue classical art. My intention right. was to learn how to paint. <laughs> and I think that's a big difference between people now loving traditional art and wanting to learn that. And the whole mindset can affect you differently depending on your purpose, you know? Yeah. So when you were starting out, even through college and when you were over in Italy, who were the artists that influenced you, either, you know, current or um, masters of, the, of their time? Who, was, who were the artists that really inspired you and, and got you excited about what you were doing? Before the Academy? I think it would be interesting to hear, like, did you have a group that motivated you through college and maybe in high school versus what happened when you were in the Academy? Because I'm sure that those, that changed a bit, right? For me, it was pretty much the same because I was. Oh, was it? Yeah, I was isolated the whole time here. I didn't have a, a group of friends. I didn't belong to a trend of like dressing codes or anything like that. I was actually very awkward because I was dressing traditionally as my parents told me to dress to go to school. So I would go to school here in college and see people with flip flops and girls with shorts, and I was always like impressed by that. Uh, the freedom of doing whatever you want in school because in Cuba you have to like dress up kind of thing for school you have a uniform and even here my parents were like no put these pants and this shirt so it was weird even in high school sometimes I'll be with uh, with a tucked in long sleeve shirt you know <laughs> and, uh, and so that was weird but that kept me away from uh, groups <laughs> and also not learning the language I would have a friend maybe from like Cuba or Latin America or maybe an American friend that I was kind of getting to communicate with but then the changes um, because we moved because I, at the beginning we didn't have a house so i was living with family families that could uh host you know take me for a while and i changed schools we changed like for seven different schools so i couldn't keep a group together and and that way also it put me into the feeling of just being an individual person uh working with society but not so much in a group and 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 when i went to italy the same thing happened i was there like just kind of complaining a little bit that they put classical music to paint and uh, and i'm like why are we doing this i couldn't understand it but again i accepted i accepted everything and learned from it and uh, but yeah i didn't have uh, that change of groups uh, situation okay and as a matter of uh, you know the artists that you um that you look to the works that you did are there artists that inspired you yeah, so exactly. Yeah, yeah. So in that case, like before I went to Italy, I knew, I heard of Nedrum and also Stephen Assel and Daniel Greens, people that were making it as living artists. And they were, they served as inspiration for me also to show my parents that these are people doing this type of work and making a living. So mm -hmm. in a way, I, you know, even though it's difficult, we understood that it's possible. It's not like I wasn't, I wasn't going to be the first person painting realistically, <laughs> uh, you know, in the world. So, so that kind of served us as a family to, in, for a good perspective of how things might go. And then when you were, went to Italy, did you, were there artists or, uh, you know, styles that you gravitated towards when you were there versus what was happening when you were back in, uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, well, as soon as I got to uh, Florence in the school, they had already their preferred painters to talk about, you know, and I heard uh, William Bouguereau paint, uh, name come out often. And for some reason, I kept looking at his paintings and thinking, these are silly pieces. Uh, what is this? A girl holding a jar and carrying water and kissing a flower? Like, I was just thinking that that was ridiculous, uh, you know, very kitsch type of paintings. Mm -hmm. 
but um, until I understood how difficult it was to render things, and and when I went to a museum and saw a painting in person, um, then the whole thing changed. My respect for the masters grew like from one day to the other after having that revelation. I understood that pictures on a postcard or a book doesn't do justice to art and is misleading. And at least for me, it was. Um, so then, little by little, I started getting into know, you know, to know Sargent and other artists that were ignored by my um, contemporary training here because they was just focused on post uh, impressionist principles, right. and they were, they were guided by that. So yes, I got to learn the other side of the <laughs> of history, you know. And so, do you think because you've and maybe we can talk about this your time in museums in art galleries. Um, you spent a lot of time doing that, uh, and was that when you came back? And is that maybe because you 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 had your eyes opened when you were in Italy, or because you've done a lot of work in museums, right, in galleries? Yeah, that was after the schools in Italy. It's okay. interesting. I didn't have money in Italy even to go have uh, lunch. I had to cook and come back to school, and my life was like that. Maybe got a couple of beers uh, very cheap from the supermarket and drank it in the steps of a piazza. And that's <laughs> the, my socializing fire. But uh, but even museums were exp- were you know were not free and uh, and also time consuming. And I didn't see the power at that time. I was just involved with learning what the school was teaching me. And I didn't need the museums at that time I, as I thought you know. But after graduating. From school, I realized that I needed a second schooling, a second guidance, a higher level education. And that's when I discovered that the museums is the best place for that because now you're you're studying, but not studying what the teachers are telling you. You're studying what the what life and history is teaching me through all these masters. Uh, and that's why I became so kind of uh, involved in going into museums and traveling around the world to look for like these amazing pieces of art. But but it was a time for that. You see, like I I before the the first time I went to a museum was just blind, pretty much. I was, <laughs> you know, looking at just exterior things. I couldn't realize anything technical behind the scenes. Something that repeated in different ages or something that repeated throughout artists that now I'm able to see. Yeah, and I think that's even when I bring my kids to a museum or an art gallery, all they're looking at is probably the last fifteen minutes of the painting, right? As a matter of the mm-hmm. process, that's all they see. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's funny. Yeah. They don't yeah. see the the hours behind it as to how they got to that point, right? And I yeah, think, you see that delicate delicate hand or a nice drop of water or something like that, right? Yeah. Right. And, and when even when I see you painting and you did a recent portrait uh, series of yourself, and I'm seeing all the steps, it's like I didn't even know that because I, I haven't really played with oils, and I'm looking at that, I'm thinking. It, it's brilliant, and it absolutely makes sense, but I would have never thought about that process. And maybe that's why I've had such bad experience with oils, because I went in, and it, would just, it wouldn't work like I wanted it to work. And mm-hmm. uh, I think seeing what you've done, I think you're the first that I've seen do it in that kind of process, in a way that is entertaining and in, informational. And, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but um, I, I do think that it's... Um, a lot of people, when they go into art galleries, I think they're looking too much at that endpoint. And and it is in watching you. Like, did you when you went into these, like you were sketching what was there, and you would bring it, like, or paint when it was there, like, and you'd bring it back home and you'd modify it. Is that kind of your process? Is that what you did? 
Yes, because I learned through because uh, okay in college here in Miami I we used acrylic. We were not allowed to use oils because we didn't have the proper ventilation in the in the rooms and you know all this stuff. And probably because the main thing I think is because they didn't understand how to use it. But uh, <laughs> but we were prohibited. You know, like don't paint like this. I don't know it. <laughs> but I learned in Italy that in order to achieve the best. Um, qualities of oil painting, you have to be responsible with the process that you do. It's not just getting any colors and kind of paint it around. It can suffer like that. So I, I realized that just steps are very important. And then I started thinking, how can I make those steps more clear and helpful so that I can enjoy them and not think that this is just annoying process before I get to the fun stuff at the end. And and I learned to love every piece of the process. So. I would compare it to oils versus like water medium to playing soccer after school or playing football with the full gear. You know, something like that at first will look like a problem, but once you control it, you can actually play at a better level, at a higher level. Right. Instead of staying fun from the beginning. So, yes, we do have to sacrifice stuff in oil painting, you know, and not go right to the expression part of it we have especially for realism like you have to kind of plan it out yeah no keep going no so so sorry yeah so in the museums i would look for unfinished works and and or sketches or less important pieces from amateurs of the past that would get the instructions but wouldn't know how to do it well and that those are the best examples for me because then i would go to the museum and look for these obvious techniques that that are visual for me to say oh cool this is what they were trying to do at the time instead of looking at masters because the the masters would not reveal what they're doing it's almost like a magic trick yeah and i think that's that's the problem we have right is we go and we appreciate the work they've done and we have nothing behind it and that's why i think the work you're doing and we'll get to your vlogs um i think is is sharing this knowledge, sharing this expertise, so that those of us who may find it all just too much, it's easier to see the steps and see the process and understand the the view that you have of the world. And so I think that's the next thing I wanted to get into was your vlogs. Um, because I think we're a little bit similar in that. I started this podcast because I wanted to be a better artist. And I'm not a professional, but I, I, I think I'm okay in certain areas. And I wanted to speak to people like you to try and become better at it. So this is my journey because I have to research everybody <laughs> and yeah. I have to keep working on my skill. And you did that as well, right? Um, yes, it's pre pretty similar what we're doing in that sense because it does help us with our art. In, in your case, it's interesting because it's true. You have more access by forcing yourself to set up a system to talk to artists, you are already inviting information into your world and 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 forcing yourself to commit to this kind of discovery through having conversations with artists and searching them up and learning the terms that they come up with and that's the best way to learn the same way i did it i was having a you know i'm having a nice successful career but i said what if i force myself every week to to write down a vlog idea to develop it and then have my wife who, who loves filming and loves editing play with me and we give something good to the world and at the same time it's helping me uh focus in what i love instead of using that time for something else so yeah definitely these are tools that are kind of 
we force onto ourselves to keep us learning, you know? Yeah, I think if, uh, you know, it's that balance between student and teacher, right? And I think that the more that we can take everything we've learned and distill it down so that we can teach it, the better we become as a student of what we've originally started with. So mm-hmm. I think there's huge value in that. And uh, I mentioned the wrapping earlier, but You've done a few of those at the end of a few of the videos as well. Which I think <laughs> Almost. Is, I try to fun. do it in every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, also because I didn't know structure, I kind of was um, studying how to do a vlog that is successful. What does videos have in common? And I realized that there is a structure to them, just like there is a structure to, to painting. So I said, okay, I'm going to have an intro, just presenting my name and saying a little bit of what's going to be about, then having a little musical uh, intermission so I could put some uh, clips of things that will happen kind of a preview and then talk about the main body of, of whatever the information is and then at the end leave it up in a light tone something silly that people can judge me for it and feel that you know that it's, uh, it's okay to be fu- to be to take this lightly too and and for me that was the that was important because I I understood that classical this classical training has a weight to it that could be intimidating and and by me presenting it lightly with different fun stuff around the vlogs will will give that kind of easiness uh, feeling to it, even though it's not at all, but but at least it is uh, digestible. Yeah, and I uh, you've achieved it <laughs> because yeah. it is. I, I I love I love the layout of your videos. I mean, your wife is doing a great job in what she's doing, and it is fun. It's light. I think ending on that is always cool. So. Uh, <laughs> Very clever in putting that all together. <laughs> Being cult- but then recently, uh, we put. Well, I talked to a, f- uh, a few friends um, to see which one. I mean, I have this guy is incredible. He's a he's a programmer, mm-hmm. and uh, we've been you know since the year two thousand. We worked together when I was doing uh, theater. We met each other because he plays music, and we were you know I was playing the bongos, and we you know started talking, and we he has like this amazing skills for technology and he can fix anything or figure anything out i mean it's incredible so we came up with this uh website that uh where i can teach i can develop a whole hour of instructions and and of course i couldn't do it for free Mm -hmm. but i looked at my competition i looked at the market and i put the lowest price for what i'm doing and also because of expenses you know like doing this wasn't free but it's 35 dollars per like uh per per video and those videos are fully like as as basic from the beginning to more complex at the end uh simple to complex is everything in art too and that and that has you know that's part of what you mentioned about myself poetry so so that's helping out also a lot of people because it's more like clear and and in depth so do you do a lot of and and i'll link to all of this in the show notes um I did look at, and you do teasers for these that you post on your YouTube channel as well, so people get a sense of what they're working yes. towards, right? Which is yes, uh, yes, yes, which is exciting. So you've done like portraiture is your preference at this point. Is it something you enjoy more? Um, like, do you want to talk through that? Because I, I know I've seen you did some work. You were just using gouache on a train, which I thought was great. I mean, once again, it was portraiture, <laughs> but it was just gouache on a train, which I thought was just brilliant. <laughs> Um, so can you talk through that? Is that your favorite kind of subject at this point? Yeah, I kind of love portraiture. Um, I love, uh, just presenting people and figuring out how, you know, the skin glows and the shadows and all this stuff. I just love it. Um, 
I yeah, it's it's interesting because art has different purpose in different periods, and they go from you know like the simple paintings to really personal to really grandiose and we have all this variety of stuff so i believe in focusing in what you really love and not trying to take over uh take too much you know in charge of too much because that will be distracting and uh and for me i love kind of every genre when it's well presented but yes portraiture is something special to me yeah and i think uh in your live um youtube that you did yesterday you were talking about uh, you know doing things like a beard <laughs> yeah yeah someone asked me that yeah <laughs> and i think that's i mean it's always funny because i know i've worked with massive clumps of hair whether it be on a i've only i i've only drawn one person but on animals and, and birds and that just understanding the difference in the textures and i think that's always a challenge for us as artists especially when you're starting out is understanding hair i mean i had robert bateman on uh the podcast and he was talking about working with a polar bear that he had done and trying to understand that the air between the hair, right, is, is understanding how it lives as, as a cohesive large piece, right, and the difference between different types of hair, especially on a polar bear. But I, I, like you do that so well, and maybe you can talk through that a bit, you know, the idea that, especially drawing your own self-portrait, because you've got a wonderfully large beard <laughs> <laughs> and maybe not so much up top <laughs> and you know getting that this is the lazy just a lazy look <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> i'm not going to say much because you know i've got a little bit of uh, a challenge going on um the hair as well in my 50s but um you know understanding that difference i mean we all would approach that differently how would how do you approach that idea of, of someone who has maybe a large lengthy beard and even if we talk about just charcoal and 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 graphite versus the short stuff on the top right and uh yeah maybe well actually if you feel if i would uh compare it to painting with your eyes closed okay so if let's say you want to paint uh some hair beard or whatever mm -hmm. and you feel it right so if you close your hair your eyes and you try to feel the shape of it the volume of it the softness of it and realize that with your fingers you wouldn't know where the hairs are going um, you just feel like a mass of softness that kind of hangs or has this structure that is attached to this thing. Whatever it is, if, if you think of doing it with your eyes closed, then when you paint, you paint the sensation that it gave you. And you will realize uh, uh, that a lot of things get solved because we are painting with our brain and thinking too much of where hairs are coming out and extending. And if we follow those lines like that, it won't look like hair because hair doesn't i mean even though scientifically it comes from a point and extends in little curls or straight or different colors that's not what it actually looks like what it looks like is this mass of softness that moves around in space and uh and if we paint it like that and pay attention to the to the intricate shapes of color and uh and, and variation very subtle then we get a better resemblance but when I look at yours, um, I could I could feel that. I mean, you can see it and you can feel it. And I think that maybe we try to be too precise in what we do, that it it loses its life, right? It flattens that that object that we're yeah, working on. Yeah, and precision is good. You know, let yeah. me let me be clear with this stuff too, because precision is good, but you have to understand where to put the precision. For instance, in the sense, in the case of hair, you don't see the hair inside of the form you only see it in the profile where he's finishing it so if let, let, let's let's say you do a mass of hair and then you hint in the edges 
of little hairs coming out, then we we think that the inside is made of is made of that too. Right. So we don't have to paint that little hair inside too. Just make it hinted around the edges, and that's enough. Yeah, and I think that was the other thing you were talking too. Is is there's no you know largely especially with portraiture and, and even landscapes and that there's no real hard edges with things. It's all soft edges, and you do that so well in blending the edge of a face into a background. Or uh, you know, I'm looking at the the uh, the portrait you did of the self portrait you did. And just having that white shirt at the bottom just to highlight those individual hairs, which, mm-hmm. you know, is that suggestion that there is, this is the, this is the overall texture of that unit, that, that unit of hair that's uh, hanging from your chin. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and just having that white there is a real good um, exposure for what that texture looks like, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and even the short hair on top of the head there is just a transition from skin to background. And, it, and then you can, if you observe, you can see how it, it becomes grayer and it has a highlight and it's like broken into little patchiness. And then as soon as you kind of feel it in your, in your being, like with a tactile feeling of it, then you can paint up that feeling and you have more chances of being successful than if you just copy it. That's why painting from photos at the beginning is, is kind of harder to get this because the photos don't represent either form or that feel that feeling of the texture right. and it's only flat and visual and if we only focus on that as artists we will create a detachment from the real things uh, that's why we sometimes look at paintings in the museums and they don't look at all like photographs but they look more real in a way because it was a true feeling of how things feel not just visual yeah i absolutely agree with that so when you're when you're working on a piece um do you, do you, I mean, you sketch it out. Can you talk maybe a bit about that as to your processes mm-hmm. and kind of laying out, let's say an oil painting, because um, mm-hmm. you've done a lot of charcoal, you've done a lot of graphite as well, but uh, maybe what are the steps that you do and uh, maybe talk through that a little bit? Okay, so my first hint to be able to construct something that looks accurate is, again, to, to feel it in space. And to simplify it. So let's say we're drawing something that has like complex uh, forms. We can divide everything into a sphere or a cube or a pyramid or a rump, like any any geometrical shape. And and you start seeing that throughout things that you didn't see it before. So even in an arm or something, you can subdivide it by the you know the the upper mark uh, a hand. I mean the upper arm being rounder, and maybe by the wrist it start getting blockier and squarish. So all this stuff, understanding it, makes you draw it better. And, and as soon as you have like straight, simple lines constructing the perspective of the thing, then you start connecting points across. So something on one side will dictate something on the other side, either uh, some high point poking out as a volume in one side is making a shadow look like such in the other side of that because of, you know so it's analyzing things in 3d that will help us draw it once we have a drawing set we were and now we can think of something beyond that which is maybe values so once you have the structure and that's the problem with projecting because a lot of us have access to projecting things you know a projector tracing or all that is so simple right that we by doing it we get detached 
from the real connection at the beginning, which is the most important connection because it's when you get to understand this stuff. And and a lot of us are are kind of going faster at the beginning instead of enjoying that you know kind of construction stage. But let's say even if, if even if people don't want to spend the time doing this and they want to do it faster and they just want to get a good result, which I do not recommend that. But even if you do, make sure that when you're drawing, you understanding the inside of things. So yeah, a projector can help you, but make sure you don't fall into the trap of then being afraid of covering that line because you might lose where it is. If you're at the stage, that's bad. You know, like it's better to have a distorted drawing that came out from yourself than having a precise drawing that you're detached from, you know? So the connection is the most important part. Now, once you have the drawing, however you want, we think of values. So let's say in front of you right now, whatever you're looking at must be divided into hundreds of, of uh, values, if you can really subdivide them. But as an artist, you have to simplify those hundreds into three or four right. masses. So just look at the darkest mass, and and simplify it with the second darkest like that until you can do like an engineer division of any scene and divide it into three or four values and um you know for instance the horrible character of che guevara in the shirts uh is a good example because most people have seen that picture mm -hmm. of che and and it's just it's just two values. It's just a silhouette stage with a red or black or whatever versus light. And with that, we all we see the character of the person. And a lot of things are in there for us to imagine without having the detail. So if you think of just silhouettes like that at first, once you have that established and that dries, then the second and that will be the underpainting stage, for instance. So we should let that dry, and on top of that, we can add more colors and information, but being guided by the bigger three simple masses that we have constructed underneath. And once we start feeling, you know, these colors and, and we feel more information, then you let that dry and then you take piece by piece and finish it as you see it. Finally, we can look and copy what we see without and having all the support from the drawing with the structure, then the values for the for the tones and then the brush strokes of the colors and then now you can just render on top of it even though you're going to be covering it so people think oh if you're going to be covering it why do you do it well you cover a building too and you have to still construct it and then on the outside you paint it you put glasses you put doorknobs and it looks like it's superficial but it's actually built from the inside out and that's actually what the whole process is about that's what i teach I'm interested now in trying oils again <laughs> mm -hmm. because yeah, yeah. I look at it and I think, you know, maybe I'll, uh, you know, I'll get there. Um, but I think that uh, I'm going to have to pick up a few of your courses to do that because I really enjoyed that process. I think it's a bit overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I've, I've started working with watercolor and gouache. And I mean, you've done some gouache as well. Is, do you still work with gouache or is it like, do you just do I that when you travel I, maybe or how does that work? Yeah, I do it when I have uh, no options, okay. honestly, um, because uh, there is something immediate about it that I don't like, <laughs> you know, I like now I got used to planning kind of ahead a little bit mm -hmm. and it's weird when I have to just solve the problem on, on, on the spot there, like maybe for an event or something traveling like that is fine or in a museum or something quick. But if it's for me to really fulfill my my artistic expression, I would rather do it in, in layers. Are you still doing 
sketching on a regular basis? Do you carry a sketchbook around with you, for example, or you know when you go out and explore? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. I have uh, several types of sketchbooks. One that I could be just free and and you know funny and don't care, and another sketchbook that I do pay attention and try to have like a final piece of art in the page. And with the sketchbook, are you oil painting in the sketchbook, or is it all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm oil painting the sketchbook. Uh, I just um, have a couple of sketchbooks and I do have like spreadsheets. So I work on one side, let it dry, work on the other side and, and do it like that. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, a few of your sketchbooks there through various YouTube videos. And it just like I look at it and I think, oh my, that's, uh, you know, I thought I was, I had uh, decent pieces in mind. And I look at yours and I think each one of these could be framed. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to hear too that you've got one. That is more fun, and I think that's a challenge we have with sketchbooks as artists, especially when you're starting out, is what do you put in the sketchbook, right? Like, you may have an idea, mm-hmm. you may see something that's really interesting, but you don't want to put it on the page because you feel that you need to spend, you know, two, three, four, five hours on it for it to be finished, and you don't liberate mm-hmm. the idea from your mind because you're afraid you won't be able to finish it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's why the sketchbook is good, because the sketchbook is at least the most, the place where you can be less afraid. Um and, you know, you can do a line per day and that's it, you know, that's enough for a sketchbook practice. For for you right now, what inspires you? What is the, um, you know, when you sit down and decide I'm going to start a new piece, what is it that motivates you, that inspires you? Is it the world around you? Is it things you've seen? Like what, you've been doing this for some time. These pieces take a lot of your time. How do you come to that decision about what I'm doing next? Very weird uh, to figure that one out, you know, because I kind of consider everything um, when I when it comes to creating art. I'm thinking of my environment, of my education, of my past, and uh, of my possibilities. And also, I consider what's going on in the world in the sense of artistic expression. Like how many how many things are are we supposed to be paying attention to, and and to what degree? And for me, when I start a new series, is something that that comes up to me, um, and and ask me for for that attention. And then after a while, I get bored and I want to change it again. So I've had so many different series, like from syncretism, then to the people with the crayons, to the mannequin series, to just painting on my sketchbooks. To like, it's in, it's incredible how I want to cha- keep changing. But uh, I understand that that's all in search for a connection to myself, to my inner voice. Right. So I think the same struggle that any level artist feels is the same as any other artist. You know, like I don't. I think that is a constant battle with the spirit of art running your life. <laughs> uh, and because it's not like inspiration. I don't feel like I go. And I feel like inspired to paint. It's just like a need. Like I need to create something and then I kind of analyze what my best options are and just go for it. And I think that's the challenge is, is understanding that and feeding that need. And like, you know, with COVID-19, because of the role I have as my day job, I haven't been able to draw for I think three days now. Mm-hmm. I said I would do an Instagram live this evening just drawing because I just need to get caught up. Is it the same mm-hmm. with you? Like if, if in some for some reason you're traveling or you're you know, sketching or paintings unavailable to you. Is it one of those things that just you, you need to get back to that? Like, do you paint, do you paint to relax or do you only paint when you're relaxed? Yeah. The way I see it is that I, I could paint 
So both cases, I could paint when I'm stressed out and I can paint when I'm relaxed. What I do um, feel is that I become, if I'm the tool of my art, like I see it as there is the feeling that every artist in the world felt to create something and to develop it and to, you know, just present it to the world. So that feeling, I feel that it's not mine. I, I feel that that's like a bigger spirit running people and making them express themselves in different ways. So the way I see it is that literally, if I'm not capable, if I'm not painting because of some situation, let's say in your case, you're in the hospital, you have a bigger calling to do. I think instead of thinking I need to have a space to draw, I think you can become the artist of what you're doing and, and think of it because all that is going into your storage. And, and you start paying attention to things that you're reacting to and saying, oh, that would be cool to draw. And you become, instead of the practitioner of the art, you become the, the battery. Like you start charging yourself with stuff. And the moment you have a chance, then you go and express it. I don't think we should be looking and aiming at only, only uh, being, creating, 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 because you do, do need to fuel up sometimes. So I would take what you're doing as an inspiration for whenever you have the chance instead of maybe missing it a little bit because you're thinking of whenever you know your studio time will come right i mean that's uh brilliant <laughs> that's a really good way to look at it i think that's really true i ever since i've been drawing more i do look at the world differently right you you mm -hmm. do see um a, a difference in the shapes and the way the light falls and that would be interesting and what a what a really good composition that is, and um, mm -hmm. it's maybe maybe that's part of what we need to do is is and this has come up again and again. I'm sure you would agree is lift our heads up away from our phones, right, and uh, take in the world around us a bit more, and that's a way we can recharge our creative battery a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe because then you become an artist everywhere. That's what you need to realize that that's your power. If you are run by this spirit of art, you are already at a privileged state that. Um, some people need to pay a cruise ship to feel it because uh, or or go into art museums to feel it well in fact you are capable of feeling it in the middle of chaos in a hospital and 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 that is a luxury that you have and people will connect to you because you have that feeling so i believe in that a lot because that has happened to me in moments that i have to build something or i have to help or or work on my car because it's broken I'm not suffering thinking, oh, I'm not made for this. I'm saying, oh, that's cool. As a tool of art, I am experiencing this. Let's see how this can fit my art in the future. And just, you know, in time, the whole thing develops. Interesting. So I wanted to ask you, when you're doing your art, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but... <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Because <laughs> I think it's going to bring us into an interesting discussion. Who's your audience? When you post to Instagram, who are you posting it for? me i always think that i'm doing this for me like um i do this for my for like the way i see my vlogs and my instagram is a, as an album where i don't have kids and um my my me and my wife are not thinking about kids even like i don't even know what's gonna happen but even whatever <laughs> but that's not like a point of that's just whatever uh, anyways yeah. we, can, we can not edit that but in our minds edit that <laughs> so what um shit i just got confused because i just mentioned kids um, <laughs> <laughs> it gets way confusing way more confusing no, no. what you have but i guarantee it <laughs> <laughs> so okay so going back to the scratch yeah. okay so 
what I'm thinking is that I'm creating a body of life, like of myself, so that if I become, whenever I become older, or if I could see myself from the other side once I'm dead, that I can look at my album of life and be happy with what I built and showed and presented to the world. And and that's for me, that's like a tree. It's like a tree is not creating fruits for people. The tree is creating fruits from itself because it was a whole process from the roots, but definitely they were not added onto the tree. They came from the tree out. And and I believe in doing that with me. Like in my in my case, I do the vlogs, like I said before, to keep learning and also to share stuff that I I uh, think are important in my case. But I don't go back and see them ever. Like even yesterday, my wife was playing some old vlog, and I'm like, please turn it off. Like I don't, because I would I'll be judging without wanting. I'll be judging myself too much of what I said. I could have said a bit faster. But so my only remedy for that is to create a new one that corrects those stuff and maybe hints to another kind of way. And that way, my whole audience is pretty much me. And since we are all connected, things that happen to me will happen to other people. So then other people will connect naturally. And there, there is kind of like a funny rhythm to it because there, there is going to be a, um, a generation or a demographic that will be attracted to that. But I'm not shooting for that. I'm just shooting for very specific. It's just me and my wife creating what we love, and suddenly we have all these people connecting to it too. It's a real challenge, especially with Instagram, because I think Instagram is a, you know, even though it's owned by Facebook, I think it's a positive experience, largely. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people are, you know, positive with uh, with new artists, up-and-coming artists, and obviously people who are well-established like yourself. And we, you know, you do tend to look and say, oh, um, that thing I posted isn't as popular as the other thing, and I wonder if I should do the one thing because <laughs> that gets more likes. And I think it's, it's you know... It, it's hard to measure because we're always measuring our success, right? Or in what mm-hmm. we've done. And unfortunately, the only metric in Instagram is number of likes. And yeah. I think we it's so hard to get away from that, but we really do need to do that. And I think maybe looking at it as, as an album that other people can have a look into is it's, it's hard, but I think that is that does make a lot more sense. Well, yeah, because the thing is like uh, everything happens in delayed in, in, on Instagram. Like there are people that have been so successful and at the beginning, they had no likes. So it's hard. Once you learn how the things work, you realize that it's all about um, expression and timing. Because if you do what you think people will like, for some reason, they won't like it anymore because they know they're being targeted. And and we're not, we don't like that as humans. Mm-hmm. But if, if we, you know, if someone says, oh, nice, you lost weight, you know, you know that that's, you can say thank you, whatever, but you feel that that's not really, really legit. And the things that we are attracted to are innovations from the heart. And once we do that at the beginning, nobody will get it. And most people won't like it because they don't know what they're liking. Remember, we like what we already know that we like. So if you present something new, they're going to be like, what is this? This is weird. Mm-hmm. And then in and then in a year, they said, oh, that's what that was. Amazing. I love it. <laughs> you know, so so that happened to me. And the only thing to to do at that time is just that's why you have to go introspective and say, is it valuable for me? Is it worth it for me? Then it will be for others once they get to know me. I've struggled with that because I usually draw animals and I decided to start drawing some humans <laughs> and I posted it and it's like, I don't know how this is going to go, but 
<laughs> I enjoyed it, and I don't care. It's uh, it was a fun yeah. experience, and I probably will do more of it. But it is that kind of I don't know, and you know I don't have a large following, so you know it is what it is, right? You- well, but you are you this. I mean, remember, I am pr- practicing the same thing since I was like four yep. <laughs> years old. You know, so imagine like how behind I am uh, because of all alive doing the same thing and still not like incredible in terms of connection and expression. I'm still kind of discovering. So it's a tough thing and you have to understand that you spend so much time doing something that is actually more useful sometimes for society than than other people. And now you're changing the whole rhythm and the whole perspective and you're adding to that. So I think just see it as a combo. You see it, you see it as your life having the luxury to express something. Don't see it as, you know, as uh, just isolated into art. Just see it as a combo. But it's hard for you to, you know, kind of present that on Instagram, and that's why Instagram is limited because they won't they won't understand how valuable you are in other aspects, and then combining it with that. That's why I believe that your art should reflect what you have had in the past. You know, like, because that's what you know. That's what you are unique. Nobody else had the same trajectory as you in your life. So imagine if you start exploring your trajectory and then everybody, like, I would like to know how someone that works in what you work could express a drawing, you know? And and that's the interesting part. Even though at the beginning, people be like, what is that uh, drawing of a cable with this thing or this machine or I don't know, whatever you're involved with, right. but... Um, I imagine that it will be for me interesting to see it communicated to to me in an artistic way of something uh, so alien to me. Uh, I agree, and I think that's that's why I find these discussions with artists like yourselves so interesting because I see your stuff on Instagram, I see your, your YouTube, and then we get to have this wonderful conversation, and it adds so much color and context around who you are that I want to go and just relook at all your Instagram again. Um, yeah, because yeah. it does. It does provide us that extra bit of insight into who you are. Uh, because in some ways, I'm driving the ship at this point versus you creating your narrative, right? And I think um, yeah. it's. I think it's great. I think it's it's a fantastic way to learn about artists. And you know, in every episode, I talk a little bit about myself. I try not to, but uh, I do think that there's uh, we have so much value um, with what we do that we need to share it and. We are the only people that will do it. Uh, if you, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, um, everything I could have done will be gone. And so I think we do mm-hmm. need to ensure that we get what we have in our heads and creatively. We need to get that out to the world because uh, yes, we need more of it. Yes, and also you know what's funny because I've seen a lot of art artists being victims of beauty, and it's beauty that has been confirmed already. So a lot of sunsets, a lot of beautiful trees, a lot of beautiful animals, like you said. Or a lot of beautiful people like I've painted before. And we have to struggle against that a little bit because the beauty is what we show to people that is beautiful instead of what has been approved as beautiful. And I think art becomes stronger once you show that you discovered a beautiful thing that you can present beautifully. That's why technique is so good. It's so important because technique can make the darkest subjects beautiful. 
and and I think that's uh, one of our tasks is to is to learn to see stuff in a special way that people missed before. And we're surrounded with new things. We don't have to repeat the past. Like, but even the past, they did that. Even with the idea of God or the idea of whatever beauty or something, the way they presented was new to the viewers, and they were able to learn like that. And we evolved through those artists that showed us like an imaginary world that was actually uh, achievable by looking at the positive side of, of the things that were missed at the time right you know so that so you have that power within you to develop that and say this is what i love looking at her or not but i there's a problem with it you know yeah i think even when i look through and i, I see the possum you did i think it's a possum right uh, <laughs> yes and you know it's it's beautiful and it's wonderfully done but it's not something you would see typically right and it is mm -hmm. that kind of uh you know i I don't know. I, I've I've been mesmerized by it since I looked at it because I'm looking at you know just even the small details about getting the the, the teeth right and the sh the shadow in the mouth and and the bit of the shine on the top of the ear and I look at that and I think it's it's just playful, right? And uh, mm -hmm. it is something that you wouldn't necessarily think someone would want to do. They would choose maybe the the typical um, uh, pose of of something like yes. this. But it's it's so playful. It's wonderful. And uh, yeah, yeah, we need to do more of that. So I wanted to ask you, what is the best advice you think you've ever received with regard to art and uh, along your creative journey? Hmm. It could be oh. from a mentor, it could be from a teacher, it could be from another student. Well, I've said this before in previous uh, conversations I've had, um, and I think it's still good to kind of remind everybody because um, the best advice I got was at, at least, you know, in the beginning of my career, was talking to an artist I use I admired uh, Guillermo Muñoz Vera. I met him. He's from Chile. He I think he lives in Spain uh, or at least you know studied in Spain or something like that. And but anyways, we were showing. Uh, that was my first art fair experience in Washington D.C. And he was there. I met him. I brought him to my booth, and I showed him my work. And at that time, I was doing a series of still life paintings. And he saw it. He said. Wow, are you are you painting for your grandma? And it was funny because that might look like a rude comment now or lack of taste, and it's true. But at that time, it woke me up because I was painting what he didn't, what he probably meant <laughs> was that I was being influenced by the old um, school that wants to do stuff in an already approved beauty type of thing right. because I had still lives with like um, red drapery and bouquets of flowers and stuff like that and and he's like what are you doing you're, you're like 20 something I was like 26 at the time or something like that he's like what are you what is your life like don't paint paint for your generation and paint to provoke the new people and bring that energy don't do stuff that are already approved or that your grandma or your parents will like. And that was a good advice because that gave me the freedom to say, oh, that's because what I responded at the time was no, but they do buy my paintings. And then he looked at me saying, wow, like that's you're completely gone then, you know? <laughs> and, and then I'm like, I can't believe I fell into that mentality because I listened to some teachers that didn't have experience in the free market and they thought that the safety way was to do stuff that older people might like because they're the one with money and i and i understood how ridiculous that that was 
And actually, the coolest things are the things that young people are offering and that any age people can appreciate that and actually will feel revived and, and young if they associate with your expression of, of stuff. So, so I'm like, wow, that was interesting. So that was a good uh, advice. That's a, uh, yeah, that would cause you to think for a few weeks, I think, afterwards about what you're doing and where you're going with things. So. Oh, my God. I was like, uh, what the hell do I paint now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm done here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm glad. I'm glad. I probably never thank him in person for that, but he he did change my perspective. Huh. That's and that's good that you're open to it because some of us are not. We may receive the best advice in our life, and we may have received it a week ago, and we just had our ears closed to what they were saying. Right. So I think just being open is always good. another great advice. Is that probably you have it? Is that it's important to to save money and make and make use like invest only in your career type of thing because the, a lot of artists get lost into the temp temptations of modern life and spending money with this and be cool with that and um and it's you know even to this day i never had an iphone i never had a mac i still work with my old pc i mean it's ridiculous my friends that are into technology they come here and they're like what the <laughs> but but I do try to save money because every every penny I spend is either on art or some tools or some video or some workshop that I can improve. And uh, and I, so a good advice was from um from a collector. He's saying you know like if you always want to be expressing without the stress, make sure that you save money. And my family too. I learned that from my family because I saw them suffering every night counting like pennies and dollars um, for the next day. And I said, I don't want to fall into this type of life that you're like the whole day try to survive. And uh, and as soon as I got some money from my sales, I make sure that I saved it, and uh, and I would spend something that would keep its value, you know. Uh, and so that's a good advice, I guess. Yeah, I think that is because I think uh, even myself, you know, you you see a new pencil or a new sketchbook or whatever the case, and you think. I'm going to go get that because I think that'll be a better experience for me, whatever the case. And you get to a point where you have the tools you have and you have the paper and, and we're all tempted. I mean, it's, it's almost like a collector, right? You go out and you want this new sketchbook and you could, I'm sure the person listening right now has multiple sketchbooks in their house. You know, we may use them for different colors and textures and that's absolutely fine. But uh, I do agree with that comment, just being mindful of, of, uh, curating your creativity and in, in the tools that you have and not going overboard on all that too so that's uh, yeah that's you're a professional advice. so you probably have good you know good resources to express yourself now and you don't depend on selling art to make a living so that's a great luxury but if you're an artist that has only one option uh make sure that you you know always save <laughs> uh, for the art i 100 percent agree so <laughs> i, I want to ask you is there like you look forward to you know into 2020 and 2021 and who knows with uh, the virus how I think it's gonna how it's gonna change it change us all for uh, for the remainder of the year but are, what are you pursuing now and and what dreams do you have that uh, you you want to target can you can you share what maybe a, a future Caesar would look like in five or ten years well that's too far ahead but for this uh year i had and again it could be interrupted because of this new crisis mm -hmm. but but my I'm, I'm always here with my wife trying to update ourselves and the new um kind of adventure was to get this rv um van and go across america in 
with the studio on board and go to different locations and paint on the spot because I've been so comfortable in my house and developing it that there is something asking me to change it up a little bit. So that was my plan. My plan was to develop the the website so that I can become more self, you know, like more independent in terms of dealing with art and not having to to depend so much on the galleries for sales and shows. And, and I understand that our time now gives us that ability to really focus on yourself as artists and try to connect directly with the audience. And again, I'm not trying to sell paintings online or anything. I still believe in the relationship between people that sell and have the market and the store for that and the connections for that. But at the end, the other side is to develop the art from within. And I believe that that's the most important part and we can get up caught up in the outside of the sales and the success and we forget our our art spirit and uh, so basically 2020 was for me that place where i can find that spirit a little bit closer and uh and i see where that takes me well that's uh i I hope there's an opportunity for you to do that i don't know how things will change (laughs) but uh (laughs) i hope you do and if you happen to come far up you know enough north that you cross over (laughs) to the border in canada here you're always welcome to uh to uh, stop in and park here for a bit if you choose to so um nice thank you it's uh i admire that kind of ability to be able to just go and and explore regions of uh of the u.s and possibly canada as well it's uh i'd be yeah we're thinking of going to alaska too so that's probably you have to you know have to cross canada uh, but, uh, but yeah, we were thinking of just taking a year, whole year in, in, the, in the van and see what happens. Mm, that would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope it happens for you. If maybe not now, maybe 2021, but uh, <laughs> we'll have to see, right? My God. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you, for the person listening who's maybe looking for homework, looking to you know, improve their, their creative uh, skills around drawing or painting, do you have any suggestions, some homework that they can try, something they should do? that could help uh, uh, you know, elevate their, their level? Well, the best exercise that I can think of at the moment is uh, to get, get a piece of paper, any, like the cheapest just printing paper, and, uh, and get a pen, okay? So that, not a pencil, a pen, okay? So it cannot be erased, or maybe a Sharpie even better. And give it to a person next to you, you know, to your son, your daughter, your friend, your brother, your lover, whatever it is, your grandpa, mm-hmm. whoever is next to you, Give that piece of paper and give the pen and say, can you do a scribble there? Like just do an abstract shape. Not so complicated, not so simple, like in between. And then what happens is that that person is going to do something, whatever, you know, twist and turn straight, whatever. And it will give it to you. And then I have two things to give to people with that. So basically now you have a piece of paper with some type of shape, abstract shape that someone else did. Then you get that paper and you have, I have two options that will improve your drawing skills. One is to get yourself a blank sheet of paper, exactly the same, and try to copy the whole shape of that thing that came out from the other person. Try to copy it with the same weight of lines and the same curvature, almost like if it was a printed paper, but of course not, not tracing or anything, just by eye. Mm-hmm. And another exercise can be to get that same scribble and on top of the paper that they did the, the scribble on um, to, for you to get a pencil and try to 
figure something realistic out of it. So see that abstract shape and connect it into something that can be identifiable. Jeez, huh. I think I have to do that myself. <laughs> I yeah, like no, that. that's a great exercise. Yeah. You know, I think that would be great because what happens is that your creativity starts um, your creativity starts um, growing because you have to now solve a problem that is in front of you in an abstract way. You have to like maybe come up with a motorcycle that looks like a dragon, you know, like, or something that turns into a bottle or you know, whatever your creation can imagine, you know? And, uh, and also on the other side of that, you're becoming very, very precise because you're learning how to copy a shape from one page to another, to another thinking abstractly without thinking of what it actually is. And that's uh, one of the goals of an artist is to see something real, turn it into abstraction. And in the meantime, other people will see it as real. I wonder how many people will have a zigzag they have to turn into a staircase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Caesar, where can people find you online? Uh, we talked about your Instagram. Yeah. So basically, my Instagram is very visual. You will see there the paintings I've done and the series I've done and, you know, maybe some shows. Then on YouTube, you will be able to find uh, vlogs about, you know, from five minutes to 20 minutes around there is the average and talking about different themes. And that's uh, free, of course, both. Uh, but then there's my website, cesarsantos.com. Because I have two websites. I have the Santo Cesar with my last name first, okay. which is my main gallery, bibliography, everything that has happened in my career. And then Santos, I mean, cesarsantos.com is for my instruction. So it's, it's just pretty much access to me in the studio, painting along and showing every brushstroke and thought process to build the painting. And, uh, and that, those, like I said before, are for sale, 35 bucks, but you have it as soon as you pay, you have access to it on your phone, on your computer, and also forever. So, so it's pretty good deal for, for education. Awesome. Yeah. And these, uh, these videos look just incredible. So I think it's, uh, as I say, it's the training that you do, the way you deliver it, is not like anyone else and the level of work is just incredible so I'm, I'm it's exciting i think people should definitely investigate this so caesar I, I mean we talked earlier about this being kind of instagram and all of this being part of the album of life and i think that i'm uh, blessed to have this opportunity to share this point in time with you as part of both of our albums of life and mm -hmm. uh, i really thank you for your time I thank you for your insight, and uh, this has been incredible. I, I really enjoyed this conversation with you. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you, thank you again for doing what you do, because we need to hear good conversations about art or you know any subject. So thank you. Thanks. This is awesome. Okay. Take care. Show notes, including links to everything Caesar and I spoke about, can be found at drawinginspiration.fm slash 24. You can find links to all my social media accounts at drawinginspiration.fm, including my Instagram, which is Mike underscore Hendley, where I post all my art. Follow me or tag me so I can see what you've created recently. Until next time, be kind to one another, stay home, and keep drawing. Theme music for this podcast is Acid Jazz, provided by Kevin McLeod. 